So this morning, I'm going to present to you what I say is a dim view of my understanding of faithfulness because Paul said, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So that's the best that I can do for you. But as I speak about uh, faithfulness, I'll be using terms like loyalty and fidelity and faithfulness all interchangeably, so don't let that throw you off track. Our text for this morning, for the third week running, is out of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, faithfulness is the seventh on the list if you're going progressively forward with the text. If you're working backwards going to the front, it is the third. I don't know if it really makes a difference in how we mix this up if you're, if you're concerned about the order. Because I, I see it like an eight-course meal with grand dessert. And everything is really good. And does it make a difference that the dessert comes first? Uh, according to my mom, she says, no, there is no law against such things. And so that's my mom's statement. Faithfulness really is a characteristic of the nature of God that is both observable in him, and as we find out today, it's transferable to us. So keep that in mind as we're looking at this text this morning. I want to briefly over, do an overview of the list of Paul's list of the character of God. So he starts with the love. He starts with love. Now, the love of God, the scripture tells us, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And then he speaks about joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. He goes on to peace because the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He speaks of patience because the patience of the Lord is the means of our salvation. And then he speaks about the kindness of God because we look in Romans, it tells us that the, that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Then he goes on to the goodness of God. There's a psalm in Psalm 31, 19 that says, how great is the goodness of God that has been stored up for those who fear them. And then he speaks about faithfulness of God which we'll be looking at today, and that's where he enables us to be strong with his very own power. And we look at his gentleness. We saw last week his gentleness makes us great, and the week before we looked at uh, self-control. The self-control of God is his unchangeable nature, Malachi 3, 6. And it's the very fact that God is unchangeable, that we're not consumed when we are disloyal to the character of God. The title of my message this morning is going to be uh, faithful to the character of God. So it was on October 4th. I was getting a little anxious. I thought that probably the Adirondacks would be at their peak. I said, Jody, let's go on up into the Adirondacks. So we, we got up early. We drove to Keene, all the way to Keene. We we're looking ooh and and on at all the beauty that, was, that we saw on the way. We had lunch there. We came back. And coming back just past Donnelly Soft Ice Cream, there's a pullover. And you, maybe you know where it is. I think the place is called Glenview. From my understanding, my research, it's between Donnelly Soft Ice Cream and Moody's Tree Farm. And we pulled over that, that afternoon. It was afternoon by the time we got there and into the gravel parking lot, the rumble of the tires and shut her down and, and looked out and just enjoyed the view, the splendor of God that was before us. And we were one, one of probably hundreds, if not thousands, of leaf-peeping tourists 
But when you're a tourist, what are you seeing in the fall splendor? Are you taking the scientific approach where you're seeing the advancement of carotendoids that, that are bringing about the yellows and the browns and the oranges and all the hues in between? Or, or maybe it's the Mother Nature approach. I'm, I'm going up to see Mother Nature at its best, which is kind of borrowed from the Middle Ages. Or maybe it's the God-admiring view, very much like the seraphim in Isaiah 6, where they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when Jody and I go up into the Adirondacks, we're just checking out what God is up to. So that was a, that was a wonderful day. But we have just driven prudently through six chapters of Galatians. And now we're pulling over for this view, this long-standing view of the fruit of the Spirit. And I just think that it's a jaw-dropping text that we're looking at today and uh, several weeks after today. Don't be so accustomed to the text you lose the the grandeur of it. It is jaw-dropping. And the first one to pull over and look at this text, of course, was Julia. So I don't think we could call this Glenview. We might be able to call this Julia view this pullover into the gifts of the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. But anyhow, I, as I look at this, I think it's well worth the time we give it. The first thing I want to share about is that faithfulness is a divine contrast. Because really, the fruit of the Spirit in its totality is a divine contrast that defines us as God's, that points out something that was radically different before of, compared to what you're now going into. So, for instance... You see in the book of Ephesians, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, informally lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and their mind, and by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. But is the next word. Because what you're seeing is an introduction of a divine contrast. But God being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so it's by the grace and the mercy of God that the miracle of divine contrast, but even happens. And with the divine contrast, there's not only an intervention of God, there's also an alteration of God. That's that's important for us to remember. You see, God never intervenes in your life to leave you where you are. He does not save you so that you can remain status quo. He saves you so he can change your life. Jesus touched lives so that he could alter them. And he could bring about that divine contrast. And there's a progressive concept that's being taught today that Jesus will save you and then accommodate your flesh by leaving you in it. That is not only lousy theology, it is biblically irrational. It is heretical at its core of being. So when we hear the word like we're hearing today, I think we ought to get excited about it because it tells us that God is up to something. There's a divine contrast being introduced that should be exciting for us because it's the next layer of the best you version that's put out there. So Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 lays out what the best you version looks like. There are verses that present a divine contrast, but they also present a demand because number two, faithfulness is demanding. 
Now, the fruit of the Spirit is demanding, no matter which of the nine you're looking at. I've been preparing to retire months before I did, and with New York State was one of them, and so I very diligently got a hold of them before July. I got a hold of them in July, and several times after July, up to the point that, that I retired. I don't know how many reps I talked to, but no one seemed to be able to give me the straight journey to what retirement would look like. So consequently, I, I retired on September 29th, and they have me slated as November 2nd. That means I have lost over a month's check of retirement. Now, I want to tell you, it did not bring out the best U version. I, fa- I failed the test. The worst U version came out. I was storming hot. I was impatient. My thoughts were unkind. I managed pretty well with the, the help desk that I was talking with. I wasn't rude or obnoxious, uh, though I had a thought about it. And I can't say I had any significant amount of joy. And then, and then finally, it dawned on me that I was not walking in the Spirit. Just like that. It's like, Lord, I'm not all of the others, and there's a discrepancy in them because they're all bound together as the nature of God that is observable in him is now being coming transformed to us. So a while back, I came across a verse that I think it's really helped me to deal with demands and disappointments. And I tell you, I was whipped after God done with the tech people at, at uh, New York State. But the scripture's out of Proverbs 30. And it's verse 1. It's in the New, New International Version. And, and I don't know how the scholars came out with this. I'm, I'm even unsure of its accuracy, but who am I? But I love what it says. It says, I am weary, O God, but... I can. Now, I'm sure you found yourself in that state of being sometimes where you are weary. Could be multiple reasons. And God loves the honest heart that pauses to say, Lord, I am weary, O oh God. And then to continue to say to him, and maybe equally important to say to yourself, but I can prevail. So I can prevail even though weariness wins at times. I can prevail when the only thing I can do is to plot on. I can prevail in the day of suffering. I can prevail when I have lost loved ones. I can prevail in the trying day. I can prevail in the trying year. I can prevail in Christ. I can prevail because I can do all things through Christ through Christ who strengthens me is what it tells us. So being our best version is going to be demanding. It's going to be a very great challenge on your life. But prevailing is still a very great privilege that has been given to us. The third thing, faithfulness is a miracle that happens by abiding. Now, as we pass through our Galatians study, one of the verses that caught my eye was Galatians 3, 5. It says, does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, Paul followed that thought. In in that chapter and following chapters, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, the provision of the Spirit, and all of those things. He never spoke about the miracles. That struck me as odd. It wasn't a healing, a raising from the dead, eyes that saw, nothing like that. Unless being alive in Christ is a miracle. And being led by the Spirit of God is a miracle. 
in walking in the Spirit is a miracle. And I believe that they are. And that those miracles are all given, given to us for our exploration. They, to have the characteristic of God within our being is a miracle, folks. You only have to be left alone to yourself to discover that it is a miracle. So abiding is, as we see the fruit of the Spirit, is a critical display of the fruit of the Spirit. We, we had some trees on, uh, in our lawn. We got four apple trees. And at one point in summer, one of them was dropping apples. I don't know why. They were the size of my thumbnail. And it was like they just did not stay. They didn't remain. They weren't abiding Something stunted the growth process, and, and there was maturity that was thwarted, all because they did not abide. Now, the miracle of bearing fruit of the Spirit in our lives is meant to happen to the point of maturity. So we look at the words of Jesus as we abide in him. He, he said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. John 15, verses 5 and 16. I, I look at that and I realize something, that we're going to be rated for the fruit that we bear. And we're going to be rewarded for the fruit that we bear Because Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant, rated, enter into the joy of the Lord, rewarded. I have found that there's some things in the spirit that take tending to. I found that there's some things that happen in the spirit as you let them happen to you. Walking in the spirit is one of those things you tend to. You have to know where your feet are going. You have to know the direction you're taking. You want to have your heads up. We had a a tech, we were having problems with our furnace in my, the place where my daughter lives. And so we called in the tech. He happened to be six feet, four inches, just a short guy com- compared to Andrew, right? But this guy was on his knees working. When he got up, as he was coming up, he looked overhead to see where his head would be. And then he walked across the living room. There was a hanging light. And he, of course, he looked up to see where his head would be in relationship to the hanging light. Then he was moving to the door to go outside, and still he looked up, and I watched him through the whole process. I said, I see you're watching where your head is. He said, yeah, yeah, you've got it when you're 6'4". Now, there's some things in the spirit that we have to tend to. Walking is one of them. You need to know where your feet and your head is in the process of the journey you're going in. But however, if you're being led by the spirit, that's something that you let happen to you. Listen, someone's before you, Spirit of God's moving you by impulse, and you're letting him move you by impulse. But in either case, it does not make it less than a miracle, whether you're tending to it or whether you're letting it happen. The fourth thing is that faithfulness happens because grace is given for it to happen. Before you attend to the business of being faithful, you must understand that it happens through the provision of grace. Paul said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Before there's adherence to being faithful to God, there's grace for the adherence. And in order for faithfulness to happen splendidly in our life, We must live in a chronic state of grace. So reliance on the grace of God is a state of being 
we find particularly helpful when we don't know what to do. I think of the prayer of, of King Jehoshaphat when, when Judah was being surrounded, and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But you know something? Even when you do know what to do, reliance on the grace of God is equally important because it's easy for us to become arrogant, thinking it's within and find that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. So Jesus himself said this, that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In either case, whether you're succeeding gloriously or struggling, we rely on the grace of God to make those things happen in our life. And what's produced when you're connected to him is more of him. You see, abiding is where you get more of the grace of God than what you already had. Because the scripture thing speaks about things of going like from glory to glory or grace upon grace or until you have reached the full measure of the stature of Christ. So there's something more to be had of him and it happens through abiding. The fifth thing, faithfulness is the fruit of the spirit where you are now becoming predictable. I like this, just a short, short insights. But if you're bearing fruit and it's remaining, you're predictable. Your friends are going to see predictability in your life. My wife and I were talking about this, and she said, who do you know that's faithful? And I was thinking people relationally that were dear to me, that were faithful, always been consistently down through the years. Uh, I, I thought of those in church that I have known, and they have never changed. They've always grown, but they've never deviated from being faithful and faithful to God. It's impressive. And then your foes are also going to see this continuity. They're not going to like it, but they're going to see that you're faithful to God. It's going to get under their skin because it's a divine contrast. It is a miracle of God working in a human heart. And so as we're looking at predictability, I think God even can predict faithfulness in your life as you embrace the challenge that Jesus gave to the church at Smyrna which was be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So faithfulness is predictable. And then I want to talk about faithfulness calls for real honesty. And it takes real honesty, I think, in order to be loyal to the character of God. I first became intensely aware of what loyalty to the character of God was like when I was studying Ephesians 6, the scripture that talks about putting on the armor of God. So in Ephesians Six. Let me just run it by you. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm could also be, Julia, what? Stand by, right? Or abide. It's all... It's all kind of inter interchangeable there, those, those terms. But I was thinking about that, and what truth is he actually referring to that is the protective piece for us? Is it, is it the word of God? Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. Or, or is it Jesus in John 14 where he said, I am the way in the truth, right? And Or is it, Psalm 51, verse 6, that says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost part. You know what I think it is? 
I think it's all of them. All of them collectively is what we're looking at. We're looking at truth being Jesus. That's attributional. That is, that's one of his attributes. We're looking at the word that is at work in us. You see, it is operational, but we're also looking at the truth that is within us that is occupational. And they're all important. That's the truth that we gird ourselves with. And then, he's, then he talks about putting on the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness. And, and again, I begin to wonder, is he, is he talking about our, the righteousness that is ours in Christ where he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we would become the righteousness of God in him? Or is he more thinking in terms of the apostle John in, in, the, in the book of Revelation where it says, and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. But this is what I see. I think it's righteousness give you the ability to resist in the evil day, and it's also how you are faithful to the character of God because you have a standard that's guiding your life, and your life is now demonstrating that standard. So the two of them go together. I was thinking of Job. I was thinking of Job because there was none like Job in all the earth who was blameless and upright. His life was governed by truth, and that was the long and the short of it. He was a man who was battered and beaten by multiple and consecutive losses, squeezed into a short period of time. But yet truth and righteousness kept him in line with the character of God. Tom Hallis, field director of Asia, Pacific at YWAM said this, this quote energized me, folks, for weeks. Job was never disloyal to the character of God. Job was never disloyal to the character of God. You think of the context of his life. That's powerful. When I saw that, it supercharged my spirit. I really was energized. This past summer, I was doing a scale inspection at Rensselaer Falls. There used to be a place there called Bull Hall's Market is now Falls uh, market in Delhi, or I believe is what it's called, the new owners. And her, her name is Don. I knew Don from when she was working at Walmart. She was one of the coaches. I went and did inspections there, and she would, would walk with me. And we were, she was pointing out the highlights of the store. The coolers were spectacular. And I said, they look great. She said, yeah. She said, I've got a great line of drinks that are sugar-free. Sugar-free. I'm, I'm at that age now. I'm thinking sugar-free. Right, not for calorie watch. It's like okay, I have to see the doctor in another year. Right, I need to. I want to get a good report. So, so I was impressed. She said, "Yeah, you want to try one of these?" And I said, "No, not today. I'm fine. I just barely ate lunch, Don. But I'll tell you what. Sometime I'll pull pull over and stop and try something else." So it was a hot summer day. About three three weeks later, and it was sweltering hot. I was well hydrated intentionally was so, but it was one of those days you'd like a little something extra, you know, just to, you know, and so I, I pulled in the store and said, I told you to be back and went over the cooler and I looked at the line of drinks. There was these ghost drinks and they had orange cream, folks, orange cream. I was brought up on creamsicles. I used to squirrel away my money and that would be my lunch is creamsicles. It's the best, right? So, I got in the car. I had to go back to the office. It was, near the, it was the end of the day, basically. And, and I'm drinking it. And it's, by the time I get to the office, I got this slight little wired touch going on, I'll be honest with you. And then I looked at the can, and it was like, oh, no. 
I just had my first energy drink. I had boasted my, to myself, it's like, ah, I've got all kinds of energy. I don't need an energy drink. At 65, I thought that was pretty good, right? But I had something going on. And, and I realized that, you know, there was okay. And don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting energy drinks today. I'm not promoting ghost drinks. You know, even if it's that Holy Ghost on it, I probably wouldn't recommend it, right? Because it was just be tampered with by man. But, but what I want, do want to, pers- to put out and promote is a pursuant energy for you to be loyal to the character of God. And because Job never was disloyal to the character of God. I contrast that to David. David was disloyal to the character of God by taking Bathsheba to himself. If that were not bad enough, uh, it was time of war and he made the decree to send Uriah, her husband, to the front line. And then, oh yes, Joab pull back the troops. Let him stand there, defend the army by himself, which somebody should have seen that something was up. Definite line of broken communication. You see, David had truth. But at that point in his life, he did not have truth in the innermost part. It was not functioning and guiding his life, keeping him on course of being faithful to the character of God. And so it wasn't until we looked at Psalm 51, we realize that this man who was shackled now was understanding that he was shackled and he wanted to be set free to walk with fullness and faithfulness in his journey with God again. And so he was real. He was honest with himself. And in verse 4 of 51, it says, against you and you only have I done what is evil in your sight. It's like, Lord, I realize there's something in me that's not working I want to be unshackled. There's a program that's on the Christian radio station. I sometimes listen to it. It's unshackled, and then the voice gets kind of deep and low. The program that makes you face yourself and think. I like that. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to face ourselves and think. And sometimes people will point out our faults, and we don't like it. We feel like we are under attack. Rather than maybe taking the posture of thinking, may maybe it is a detection of something in me that's not quite in line with the character of God. Dean Sherman wrote a book on spiritual warfare, and he said this, every rebuke, every criticism, and every accusation against us should be humbly considered. They may be wholly or partially true. Folks, the sweetest thing in this life that we will experience in this mortal life and in the life to come is the character of God. It is a reward. It is the sweetest thing for eternity that we can bask in the glory of the character of God. And to be invited to emulate that character is a privilege beyond compare in a trust like none other we have been given. And in order for us to be true to that trust, we must face ourselves and consider whether or not we are being loyal to the character of God. It's not enough that you would love the character of God or you would admire the character of God. The call of God in our life, as great as it is, is to be faithful to the character of God. So a great prayer for us to remember when we are inconsistent to that charge is this. Lord, forgive me for the contradiction. And then honestly name that contradiction. Is it impatience? Is it an unkind heart? 
is a lack of self-control. Name it as it is. In knowing this, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, I think, as if it could not get any better, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that is a glorious thing. And I want to encourage you to be honest, to accept his forgiveness, and to settle deep into his faithfulness. And in doing so, you will find your own increasing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the trust before us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, teach us to do that faithfully and gloriously by your very great grace at operation in our lives. Lord, help us to be humble and reliant upon the realities of your very great assistance in how you look to transform our hearts and minds in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.